What up, world? It's your past first point guard and Blazer beat writer Mike Richmond. You're listening to another episode of Locked On Blazers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, available wherever you get podcasts. Today's episode is the latest installment of the Locked On Blazers 2019-2020 season wrap-up. We're dedicating a full episode to every player on the roster and giving you a brief but thorough look at their season in Portland. Today's focus, Zach Collins. We'll look at his performance this past season, review where he landed in terms of the best and worst case scenarios that I laid out a year ago, way back at the start of training camp. And finally, we'll close the show looking ahead to the upcoming season and what role Colin should be expected to play whenever the NBA returns. So let's get into it with Zach Collins' 2019-2020 year in review. In Collins' third season in Portland, he played 86 minutes and 24 seconds until his season came to a halt the first time. The Blazers' starting power forward coming into and then out of training camp, and in some ways the linchpin of Portland's entire flawed roster construction, was injured just with two minutes left in the third quarter of the Blazers' third game of the season when he was attempting to grab a rebound in Dallas. He dislocated his left shoulder. Eventually, that dislocation was revealed to be a torn labrum that would require surgery and would sideline Collins until, well, I guess until July. He was aiming to come back in the final weeks of the regular season prior to the pandemic and the hiatus, but when the season was halted in March, Collins got a few extra months to heal up, and he returned to the court as a power forward, this time starting next to Yusuf Nurkic and not Hassan Whiteside, but again playing power forward. The Blazers' new-slash-old-slash-new-again starting four-man played nine games in the bubble before sustaining an ankle injury that has him headed towards another surgery. Collins has a stress reaction in the ball of his left ankle. There's some more technical stuff that I could read off to you right now, but that's what it is. He's got a, a crack in the ball of his left ankle. A problem that started to bother him after the fifth game in Orlando at Disney, and he played a few more nights on it, but clearly wasn't himself in those games. And eventually his season ended for good midway through the play-in game against the Memphis Grizzlies. Kept him out of the playoffs. He didn't appear in the Blazers' first-round series against the Los Angeles Lakers. Collins told Jason Quick of The Athletic that the origin of this ankle injury likely traces back to the severe sprained ankle he sustained during Tim Gergich's skills camp in Las Vegas, and that was way back in July of 2019. This has probably been an ankle injury that's been lingering in the background for him for, you know, over a year that just finally caused him this latest setback. Collins' availability or when he'll be available again post-ankle surgery is is uncertain, and we'll talk about more of that in the third segment. Here now, let's just wrap up his 2019-2020 season. This was year three in the league and it was supposed to be Collins' big one. They wanted the guy who maybe they drafted to be, at a time, their long-term solution at center. They wanted him to play power forward. And he was. they cleared the docks to do it. They didn't really add any other power forwards on the roster other than Anthony Tolliver and some small ball options. But Zach was the guy. And like I said at the beginning of this segment, he was 
he was, in a weird way, the most important part of this Blazers season. He was the linchpin for what ended up being a lot of their problems. When he went out, they had didn't have good solutions at power forward. And when he went out, they didn't have good solutions to combat the bad games from Hassan Whiteside. He was going to be the solution to a lot of their issues. And instead, he played in just 11 total games. In three games before going down with the ankle injury, or excuse me, with the shoulder injury in October, he averaged nine points, four rebounds, and 3.7 fouls in 28.8 minutes a game. In that extremely small sample, not even three full games, he shot under 50% from the floor, 47% from the floor, and 42% from three. He made his threes while he was, before he hurt his shoulder, just didn't get to take many. Seven in three games. But that was what he was going to be, this sort of stretched defensive big man. When he came back in the restart in Orlando, Collins in eight seeding games, the eight games that count for stats, the uh, play-in game is just lost. It's just a game that's lost to the ether. It doesn't ex- if There's a box score from it, but it doesn't count for your season averages or your playoff averages. It just doesn't exist. But in eight, or- eight games in Orlando, Collins averaged 6.3 points, 7.1 rebounds. And 3.1 fouls in 25.4 minutes per game. Don't usually read off fouls with dudes. And I don't mean to be cherry picking here with Collins, but it is always part of the conversation. He has to cut down on fouls to stay on the court. And a guy who averages nearly four fouls a game in 30 minutes is, is probably more functional than he appears. Collins has a reputation of being super fouly, but the box score just says he is normal big man fouly. It's something to be concerned about, but it isn't this glaring Greg Oden-style 17 fouls per 36 minutes type of thing. In Orlando in the restart, Collins shot, again, not great from the floor, 47% from the floor, and 33% from three. But that's eight games in Orlando after a long break, and three games in October don't tell us much about the shooting percentages or anything from Collins. I think when you look back at this year from Collins, it's there aren't necessarily box score numbers that you can jump out and point to. The only numbers you can point to is 11. Played in 11 games. 12 technically, including the play-in. Parts of 12 games. The best ability, as they say, is availability, and Collins was not available this year. It's a lost season and a bummer for him. What I want to talk about in the second segment is where did he land in my best case and worst case scenarios that I laid out back in September. I did this for every player on the roster heading into training camp where I thought they'd land best case and worst case. We'll talk about where Collins fell in that spectrum that I created artificially a year ago. But before we get there, I want to tell y'all about DoorDash. You know DoorDash is the app that brings you food that you're craving right now. And brings it right to your door. Ordering is easy on DoorDash. Just open the app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be left safely outside your door with their new contact delivery drop-off setting. And look, the food you want to eat is almost certainly on DoorDash right now because they've got over 300,000 partners in the U.S., Puerto Rico, Canada, and Australia, so you can support your local go-tos or choose from your favorite national chains. Chipotle, Wendy's, Cheesecake Factory, that's on there. Or if you don't want to go big chain, 
You want to support your local restaurants? Many of them are open for delivery and they're using DoorDash. So you can just open up the app and select your favorite local restaurants and your food, like I said, will be left at your door. Right now, my listeners can get $5 off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter the code LOCKEDONNBA. That's $5 off and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter the code Locked on NBA. Don't forget, that's code Locked on NBA for $5 off your first order with DoorDash. All right. So we talked about Zach Collins' 2019-2020 in review. His 11 games that were cut short twice in two separate occasions. Three, really, with the hiatus. But now I want to take you in the Wayback Machine. And last September, heading into Blazers training camp, I laid out the best case and worst case scenarios for every player on the roster. Collins indeed was on the roster and was the presumptive and then actual starting power forward for this Blazers team. So I want to play you my audio. We'll listen to a little bit of Michael from the past where I talked about the best case and worst case scenarios for Zach Collins. And then we'll find out where he landed. Take a listen. What's the best case scenario for Zach Collins? Instead, he's ready to play 30 minutes a night as a starting power forward on a playoff team. Simple as that. Last season, Zach Collins never really got his chance to show if he could be part of the Blazers' core at power forward. He played just 65 of his nearly 1,200 minutes next to Yusuf Nurkic. So that means 95% of Zach Collins' minutes came when Yusuf Nurkic was out of the game. Maybe I wrongly assumed that the Blazers would try the Collins-Nurkic pairing out a bunch more last season, but they not only didn't try it very much, they basically never tried it. 65 minutes throughout the season is basically just a mistake. You know, a, a couple games where you absolutely have to because of injuries and fouls, but never part of the plan. So the best case for Collins in 2019-20, of course, without Nurkic, but he's ready to step into the role that the Blazers mostly kept, kept him away from last season. And that's Starting power forward, playing next to a real center a bunch. The best case for Collins is also that he continues to steadily improve on offense as a capable inside-outside threat, and his his three-point shooting creeps up towards league average, and he continues to improve as a finisher and out of the post. He goes better on offense in year two. The best case scenario is that that trend continues in year three. The best case for Collins also means that he can stay on the floor, avoid foul trouble, and grow into an even better inside-outside defender. He's a really good shot blocker with great defensive instincts, the type of things that are hard to teach. But as a power forward, he's going to be asked to do more stuff on defense. That's chase guys around on the perimeter, that's switch pick and rolls. It's probably guarding a lot less in the post and acting as that help defender on a big and more of being a all over the court defensive force. And the best case scenario is that Zach Collins, with all his skills around the rim, is ready to expand that defensive game. Simply put, the best case scenario for Zach Collins is that the Blazers are right. And he's ready for a big role they've carved out for him by letting the other forward options walk and adding very few other bigs that could realistically eat into his starting role. The best case scenario is that what the Blazers view as Collins' role plays out. He's your starting power forward, and he's ready to ride from day one. The worst-case scenario is that Collins stagnates. 
His foul issues stick around. His outside shooting remains shaky. And he just isn't ready to play power forward for 30-some-odd minutes a night for a team that wants to get home court advantage in the playoffs. The worst case means that he's just more of a center than he is a power forward. And asking him to chase around those fours on the perimeter for big chunks of time takes away from his rim-protecting prowess and neutralizes his most obvious gifts. The worst case means that Collins who's notoriously hard on himself and as fiery as they come, gets down on himself when his role and his skill set don't align. And that mental challenge takes away from his game even more. As long as we're keeping it simple, the worst case for Zach Collins is that the Blazers are wrong. Collins isn't ready for the specific role they seem to have designed for him, and the franchise is left turning to the likes of Mario Hazonia and Anthony Tolliver and then eventually the trade market to make up for its power forward hole. Thank you, Michael, from the past. That was a robust look at Zach Collins back in September 2019. I think Zach Collins mostly gets an N.A., a not applicable. When I was doing these best case and worst case scenarios, I did them within reason and without injury. So I wanted to be reasonable in what the expectations were, but I didn't want to say the best case scenario is that he stays healthy and the worst case scenario is that he gets hurt. One, it's a stupid way to analyze anyone's season. And two, I wanted to talk about what happens on the floor with these people. The problem with Collins is that he doesn't, the best case and worst case polls that I laid out really don't apply because he wasn't on the floor enough. We don't know if he can play power forward. We just didn't get enough data. We don't know if he's a true center or a non-shooter or if any of those things will limit him. That's the problem with this season for Collins. That's the that's the true bummer about this lost season is that you just, the, the team doesn't know. You as a fan don't know. Like it's hard for, to, to form a real opinion hard for the team to form a real opinion the same way is that you just don't, you just didn't see Collins as a big minute player as a big minute player on a good team as a big minute power forward as all those things the last thing that Michael of the past touched on though in that best case worst case scenario was was Collins kind of mindset and that's one thing that worries about me he's incredibly hard on himself incredibly hard on himself a lot of dudes in the league are not wired that way maybe they don't take personal responsibility or they don't take it publicly you know maybe they're hard on themselves behind the scenes but Collins is hard on himself right in front of your face you can see it when he plays the way he's kind of kicks himself sometimes when he makes mistakes and just talking to him he's he's he is very hard on himself and I worry that not that he'll blame himself for this but just the mental challenge of missing a missing a season and missing the season that was supposed to be yours. The team that drafted you kind of set up this big minute spot for you, set up this big role for you, kind of didn't add any other players at your position because you were going to be the answer to all their problems. And then you weren't available. And I think maybe not guilt, but just, just how much it stinks to not be available, to not be able to play, to not be able to help can weigh on guys. And I, I just hope that that is not the case with Zach. I hope he's, I hope he is in, in a good mental place. Cause I think he was, when he came back in Orlando, he was like, you know, this was a really, really difficult thing. How boring the shoulder rehab stuff was. And then to kind of pop right back into that. Um, I hope he can stay in a good, a good mental spot. I think that is the most important thing for Collins really, because um, this year he just didn't get to new enough basketball development stuff to move for us to really get for us to really make a judgment on whether this was best case or worst case scenario. In a lot of ways, this 
anyone who misses the whole season is worst case scenario, right? But that's not the point of this segment, y'all. But let's come back in the third segment and talk about the future. What is Zach Cohen's role? Where does he fit in the Blazers' plan? Has that changed at all after a season that basically didn't exist? But before I do that, I want to tell y'all about Bilt Bar. You know Bilt Bar? It's the protein bar that tastes really good. That's the trick. They made a protein bar that's delicious. Comes in 18 amazing flavors. The bars are covered in 100% chocolate and they're soft and easy to chew. If you've tried other protein bars, you know they can be kind of dry and just just not good. That's not these. Built Bar is delicious. That's the trick. They made 18 really yummy flavors. And in addition to being really yummy, they're a wonderful option for the health conscious among us because they're low calorie, low sugar, high in protein, high in fiber. Take, for instance, the peanut butter flavor, one of my personal favorites. Bite into one of those. You know what you're getting? You're getting 19 grams of protein, 180 calories, 5 grams of sugar, and just 5 grams of net carbs. It also tastes really good. So get yourself some of these. You can go to BuiltBar.com and use the promo code LOCKEDON. That's L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N. You'll get $10 off your next order. That's promo code LOCKEDON for $10 off at BuiltBar.com. Still a pass for his point guard. Still Mike Richmond. Still listening to Locked On Blazers. We're still rolling through Zach Collins' season. We look back at his 2019-2020 year in review. We talked about his best case and worst case scenarios, where he landed on that pole. Turns out he didn't really land anywhere, y'all. But now let's look ahead. Has year three affected Collins' long-term and short-term outlook? Long-term, I would say we don't know. This was the year that was supposed to be determined. We were supposed to learn whether Collins was a power forward, whether Collins was a 30-plus-minute-a-night NBA player, whether Collins was a high-level or even pretty good starting player in the league. Instead, we don't really know any of that. So the long-term future will likely be determined by how he performs in year four. That said... If you followed Neil Olshay, nothing about what he's done in the past makes you think he would give up on a guy like Collins. Very, very few of his first-round draft picks during his tenure has he not committed to long-term. In fact, the only first-round pick in Portland that he has not signed to a second contract is Caleb Swanigan, who he traded away and then traded back for, y'all. He loves his dudes. So Zach Collins... He just seems like a lock to be part of the plan because that's what Olshay does. So let's, we'll worry about that in the future. Let's worry about near term. In the short term, I think Collins is very, very likely going to have the exact role the Blazers carved out for him in year three. Olshay told Jason Quick back in around the trade deadline, early February, basically that the team was going to be patient and that they plan to go into next season starting Dame, CJ, Rodney Hood, Zach Collins, and Nurk. Neil Olshay can be kind of full of crap. Occasionally he lies, but he mostly lies in pumping up players or talking about the uh, trials and tribulations that befell his team. When he talks about his plans... And he uses specifics. 
he almost always is telling you the truth. That's kind of the Neil Olshay code that I've been able to crack after six years around him. And to me, that means that they've got a plan and it involves Zach Collins. He is going to be your starting power forward when the season starts, assuming his body allows him to do so. We don't really know when the year is going to start. There's reports that it could happen as early as December or as late as March. If it is early December, it probably doesn't include Zach Collins right away. But if it's March or January or even Christmas, Collins at least has a, from what I understand and from reading the initial reports, Collins has a very good chance to be available. So the near-term plan is, they run it back and they, they, they try to let Collins prove what they believe this year was true just a year later. And the long-term plan probably means that he's involved still, to some extent. But after a year of really not getting the answers we wanted from Collins, he's not going to enter year four with a contract extension. He's eligible for a rookie contract extension. That's not going to happen. The Blazers are going to wait and see. There's no reason to pay him now because, A, he hasn't determined his market value and it's incredibly low for him, doesn't make sense for his negotiating side. And why would the Blazers commit multiple years when they don't have to just yet? He'll still be a restricted free agent whenever the next offseason rolls around. So Collins will be back, a big minute power forward, a big minute big man when the season starts, and the Blazers will be able to decide on what they would like to commit to him long-term after that. You can bet he's in their short-term and long-term plans, very similar to where he was a year ago. We just were robbed, and he was robbed, of a chance to prove whether he was worth that type of commitment or not. That's going to do it for our look at Zach Collins. we got more of these coming. We're going to do every single player on the roster exit interview style as we roll into a strange offseason in the NBA. We're also still going to do Mailbag Mondays each week. I didn't do it this week because of the holiday of Labor Day, but we're going to do it tomorrow. So if you're listening to this podcast and you want to get in on a question, shoot me one now at Mike G. Rich on Twitter or email the podcast, LockedOnBlazersPod at gmail.com. So look for more season wrap-ups and more Mailbag Mondays in your feed over the next couple weeks. And tell your friends to do the same. They can find this podcast wherever they already get podcasts. Just search Locked On Blazers. Be there waiting for you. Appreciate you listening. Talk to you soon.